Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, a podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. And I'm Jay. Today's topic, Batwoman Season 1, the TV series developed by Caroline Dries. It is based on the DC Comics character Batwoman and shares continuity with the other TV series in the Arrow universe. DC Comics originally created Batwoman, the Kathy Kane version, back in 1956 as a love interest to Bruce Wayne, Batman, to erase gay subtext seen between Batman and Robin. Five decades later, Batwoman was recreated as the openly lesbian character Kate Kane, now considered a LGBT icon and the one inspiring the series. Yeah, how uh, five decades quickly changes the narrative. Yeah, but it's interesting that that's why she was first created, to give Batman someone else to spend time with that wasn't a teenage boy. Yeah, and that's also why Batgirl was created as the same thing for Robin, um, which is those like crazy uh, things that came out of McCarthyism and specifically the book, The Seduction of the Innocents and the... Um, the the hearings in the US about the corrupting influence of comics on youths, but yeah, this like inspired choice by Greg Rucker to grab an established character already and completely uh, redefine them and recreate them for a modern audience. In what for a lot of people, not just those of the uh, LGBT community, but just comic readers in general one of these uh smartest and most rounded characters in comics especially when it comes to the, her relationships those are always the most realistic and effectively written uh relationships in comics at least that, from what i've read i remember when it first happened when this character was being introduced as part of the new 52 it was in the newspaper there i was just reading about batwoman coming out and thinking oh wow this is it was something i remember at the time and yeah the character really just took off straight away like the, the character was was a hit and we'd seen her in movies previously this is the first time we've got her in live action but she was in the film batman bloodlines and she got a good yeah. introduction there and we've since seen her in other animated movies but ruby rose i remember when she was cast at the time I believe she was a model, wasn't she? Went from being a model to an actress. Yeah, and she, uh, the, the two big reasons why she's, she was cast for this series was being openly gay, um, and they wanted to cast someone who was gay to play a gay character. Like, how novel a concept, but it's smart. But also, she's done stunt work previously, being in both the second John Wick film and uh, having done stunt work for other things as well. But yeah, it is a strange progression from just a model to an actress, but she's not the first, and I doubt she'll be the last. And I've seen her in other things as well. Another action movie, Triple X3, The Return of Xander Cage. She's in that. Yeah. And she stars alongside Jason Statham in The Meg. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen it elsewhere. But she always looks like Ruby Rose, short hair, tattoos. That's what we get in this series as well. Yeah, which does fit 
for the most part with how she appears in the comic book. The, the two major differences is in the comic book, it's more towards sh- uh, just off the shoulder hair um, in terms of hairstyles, but she does have tattoos being an ex-military brat, which they kind of consistently do for the TV series as well. But the way she's drawn in the comics tends to be quite tall for a woman. She's she's taller than Dick Grayson Nightwing, um, but and that also helps with the the military uh, or the Marine background for her character. Of she's used to being a tom bit of a tomboy and having to go toe to toe with guys, um, a bit like Gina Carano. Like legitimately, people uh, would know she could kick my ass, and that was the one criticism I heard about Ruby Rose's casting was. She's a bit light for Batwoman, but they made the same comment about Gal Gadot as well and how wrong they were. Yeah, well, of both of them. Although, we'll get to it later on, Ruby Rose does exit at the end of season one. We'll save that. But yeah, for the most part, when you do see her, like the physicality she does have, but I think people were looking at her smaller frame, as you've said, the comparison to Gal Godot, who I would say is as a bigger frame. What are we talking about? But anyway, the physicality <laughs> yeah. of these two women, but both of them do a much better job on screen than, as you say, you and I could do. This show, though, I thought this episode was not going to happen because I reached out to you and I reached out to many, many previous guest co-hosts to come on the show, talk Batwoman, and nobody was willing to watch the show, period. But you did. You changed your mind. Yeah, uh, one of the many things with COVID, I have much more free time now. And I wanted a show I could watch for myself because the people I live with, we, we're watching other shows, which means when I'm at home alone during, at, during the day, I can't watch the shows I'm already enjoying. And I thought, you know what? I've got time. I've got time. I know you want to do it for the podcast. And it's it was 20 long episodes, 45 <laughs> minutes apiece. Well, I, I can do this. <laughs> I've, got, I've got more than enough time to get through this. Um, the, the biggest reason I didn't do, do it previously was I stepped out of most of the CW shows because they are so long. The... 22 to 24 episodes a season of 45 minutes episodes each. I, I can't do TV shows like that anymore. They really need to hook me to hold me for that amount of time. But, you know, once I started this, it, it, it's as, as, at least as at the quality of the rest of the shows I found. But speaking of the other characters, the, the second major character, which is uh, probably her father, played by Doug Ray Scott, of all people. Like, this is the guy who's supposed to be Wolverine. And then when yeah. that didn't happen, his career just sort of fizzled. And we but know why. We know why, don't we? Mission Impossible 2. He had to do reshoots. Yeah, That's why he couldn't do Wolverine. Before we do him, let's backtrack a little bit. And first off, yep. very grateful that you were able to do this episode with me because listening to this show, you would know I'm a big DC guy 
Um, I recognize they do long seasons, but what I do, I watch them week to week. And they always break for like, they have many breaks. So they, they give me like bite-sized seasons where I can just have a chunk of episodes at a time. So I don't have to sit down and watch the 20. Okay, so Batwoman, before we even got the pilot, the character first appeared in May 2018 uh, as part of the Elseworlds crossover. Did you see that? We crossed did, over yeah. with Flash and Arrow. So when we get her in that, she's a fully realized Batwoman. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is what we're doing. But then when we get to the actual show, we find out, oh, okay, we're still going to get an origin for this character. But it was interesting to first be introduced to her where she's fully realized as the character. Yeah, and uh, I've also watched the crossover for this year, even though I wasn't watching Arrow or Flash or Supergirl or any of the other shows. Uh, but they needed they needed to do the backstory, I think, for setting up a new show. If If you're coming in halfway i think the only character you could probably do it with at this point would be batman proper because we've seen his origin so many times before just like spider-man the reason why spider-man hasn't got an origin in the marvel movies is because they're like well you you know this you know this story we don't need to go there again and but i think especially for Cap, a batwoman with so many of the other bat family where everyone's aware of them. She's probably the least known. Like she falls in terms of uh, recognition on the street for the layman underneath Batgirl um, and all those other characters. Like if yeah. you said, uh, if someone asked you about Robin, I, th- they may not know there's like three or four Robins, but they definitely know Robin. Yeah, that's I'd, right. Yeah. I'd risk the, the knowledge of two robins at least but well, not think, batwoman yeah with batwoman like the, over the years people have accidentally said batwoman referring to batgirl <laughs> thinking yeah. they're one one and the same but you know we know them to be two separate characters um, yeah the crisis crossover the five part um, crossover that they did which i thought was just fantastic you know i did a whole episode talking about that well episode 9 of Batwoman is part two of Crisis. And that's where we've got Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne, like an older um, battle damaged Batman. He's got the, he's got the, uh, the back harness where he'd fought Superman before killing him. That episode also gave us Tom Welling Superman. I just think the people at CW, they're going to be gutted. I think that Rose has left the project and we don't fully know why there's stories on both sides but they put so much emphasis on her character and had her be not just part of elseworlds but to be a part of crisis and to now have her gone like i don't think the cw is ever going to have a crossover bigger than crisis so it's kind of like the, the biggest thing they could have worked towards and achieve one of their main actors is left. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it is interesting. I, I, I'm curious to see for season two, 
how they get around this. Like, uh, are they going to have her for the the start of the season to make the transition from her as lead to who they've cast now? Because they have cast a new actress who's a completely different character, not playing Kate Kane, Batwoman. Uh, she's going to have a, her own name, Batwoman. So she's going to take over the mantle from Ruby Rose, literally. Um, I, I find it hard for that. I don't think it will work if you don't have a literal handover or some, some symbolic handover, which would require Ruby Rose. Um, especially since you built a whole season off her. You built a whole show off her. <clears throat> I put and on, everyone I, in the show is related to Kate, their relationship with through Kate Kane, uh, the main villain, uh, the, her father. All of uh, it. Her yeah. father's second in command. Literally every character goes through Kate Kane. It's problematic. Um, to retool the show. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to cover that. I did mean for us to talk about this later, but I did start this. So, okay, so season two, we're not going to have Kate Kane. We're going to have a brand new character, Ryan Wilder. And she will be played by Javicia Leslie, an actress I'm not familiar with. They did make a big thing in the media about her being African-American, saying, hey, you know, it's going to be off. It's going to be the first African-American Batwoman. It's like, yeah, but, you know, before that, Ruby Rose was the first live-action Batwoman. So no matter the colour of the actress's skin, she's the second. There's not been many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting, especially given uh, Sophie Moore, played by Megan Tandy, also African-American. Uh, she's the love interest for Kate Kane for the whole season. If It's... I'm... I'm I think the entire audience who go on for season two are going to have the question once you introduce the new actress, why didn't you hand it over to, to her? Yeah. Or no, do you know she's what? already on the show. She has a whole season of development. If you're going to go that way, it has a lot of the same training as Kate Kane. Like that is going to be your biggest hurdle um, going forward. Like the question in, in fans' minds of why didn't you just use one of the already established characters? I agree, but I've got, I had another idea. We've got Nicole Kang. And you know what? This podcast is all over the place. I did, <laughs> <laughs> I did have a beginning, middle and end planned. We've, um, we've thrown that out and we're just, we're going off script. <laughs> uh, Nicole Kang, she plays Mary Hamilton, who is the stepdaughter of Kane. Blanking on his first name, Commander Kane. Yeah, Kate's Jacob. Jacob. Yeah, Jacob Kane. Who is the brother of Bruce's mum, Martha Kane, who becomes Martha Wayne? It's yep. all very, all very connected. Okay, back to Mary Hamilton. Right in the comics, she was Mary Kane, full name Mary Elizabeth Kane, also known as Bet Kane, who was the original Batgirl who you were talking about earlier, I believe, or you were talking about. The Barbara Gordon version of Batgirl. But either way, years ago in the comics, we had another Batgirl. She had different identities over the years. As she grew up, she would adopt the alias Flamebird and later Hawkfire. So they yeah. could have had, even though she's not got the training Sophie Moore has, 
still it would have kept that close connection in the Kane family, a connection to the Wayne family. I think maybe she would have made a better Batgirl or Batwoman, but either way, Ryan Wilder, like they've just made her up. Yeah, and I do hope they go to the comic book people, uh, the writers. It doesn't have to be Greg Rucker. I know he's a busy man these days, but definitely uh, Hayden Blackman and uh, John H. William III. These are the people who really took the character that they based their show off uh, and are using a lot of the same uh, story beats for their series. Hopefully you've gone to them, maybe not for your name, but characterizations and way to integrate. You need to get comic book people to flesh this out. This is when you're talking about something so interconnected, you need to have a practice hand, I think. But again, this is all, Season two stuff. We should probably return to yeah, just, season one. <laughs> I know we're speculating. Um, okay, well, before we move on to the other characters, Ruby Rose, one of the things that did get reported on, she was nearly, nearly paralyzed doing a stunt. So she was injured for a time. Um, she had a herniated disc in her neck. She had to undergo surgery. She put up a video of her surgery or about to be operated on up on Instagram. Like she was very open about that. So I can't help but feel as though the injuries, because there were more than this injury and the long hours, maybe that played into her having to leave the show. Maybe it was a bigger commitment than she, and this is all speculation, but maybe it was a bigger commitment than she originally realized. Yeah, and um, this is the sort of thing, I think if you're going to audition for a show and you're in the running, they should sit down uh, of, of one of these CW-type superhero shows, but probably any series, superhero series, especially one that goes for as long as these ones tend to, 22 to 24 episodes a year. Speak to the other principal actors of your other series, put them in a room together, and they, this is what you're in for. Because Grant Gustin and Steve Amell especially will be able to tell you in great detail just how involved this is. Like Steve Amell, it's something. It's I don't think it's only nine months. I think it's more like ten months of the year. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. Dedicated to one of these shows, it's absolutely nine months. I'm pretty sure it's ten months though, because you don't come in and immediately start filming. You come in and uh, start running over scripts and stuff and get back into like as the choreography part which you have to start learning before you start filming and then every, like as Steve Amell has said since he stepped away from Arrow you're on the call sheet every day every day starts with you regardless of what else is happening you know six seven days a week yeah you have to restructure your entire life and move it to Vancouver because that's where they film all of the shows not just Batwoman but Supergirl legends of tomorrow all of them are filmed up in vancouver so if you know your lifestyle revolved around being in la and other work in la that's out the window you've got maybe two months of the year to be there the rest of it's in vancouver you know she has a fiance ruby rose which did her fiance want to relocate to vancouver beautiful city really beautiful city, but it is a massive commitment. I said six, seven days a week, very long hours when you're the principal actor on a series like this. It's not just the 
dialogue and filming the scenes. It's all the prep work for the stunt team, the fight cord coordinators. It's massive. It's probably the most involved acting gig in Hollywood is to be the principal on on a TV series as a superhero. Well, keep in mind though, even, so with all that, like as as much time, like you say, number one on the call sheet, and how how big of a commitment it is on them, it's the show is still built around them. So as well as that happening, once a year they'll do their big crossover, and that's like a second job. That's a whole other thing. That's where they're working with different showrunners, they're working with different writers, producers. It's a whole other thing. And then they go from being number one on the call sheet and like maybe number two, number three, but still, so it's like once a year, like I said, they've got all those episodes, 20, 40 minute episodes, and then the crossover. And with Crisis, it was a five part crossover. It was huge. Yeah. And I think for the crossover that we've just had, which was Crisis, they actually took a break from filming of their regular show for. Uh, I think it was two months to actually film all of those parts because it was so big. It was basically a film. It was a miniature film. I, I won't even say miniature film. It was a film. That's how much commitment it was. Yep. And then they got to go right back <laughs> to filming their regular series, which they're on course sheet again. They, like this, this, it's just unrelenting. You know, you get maybe two months to relax before you go right back into it, and you can't really relax because you probably want to keep your fitness levels and your and your your workouts and stuff. It is huge. So, if that was a thing, uh, stopping her from wanting to to continue with the series, it's understandable. Oh, um, completely. It's just, it's just one of the things I think CW should have really, really put forward of like. You might want to sit down with Grant Gustin and Stephen Mel, and especially Stephen Mel, having been the longest serving of these these actors on these shows, and how taxing it was. Um, and also, like I said, the multiple injuries she sustained from stunt work on season one can't make her feel great about rocking up. Like, no, is yeah. she scared about her safety? She's already taken two injuries, one of them severe. Like. Was she starting to dread going back to work, knowing it was coming uh, with the current circumstances of the world we're in as well with uh, COVID-19? And then, like, oh, here comes another nine to ten months of this. <laughs> no, it's it's a lot. But hopefully, the actress playing Van Wilder, she's in it for the long haul. But I do remember yeah. when Ruby Rose was cast, it's like, oh, we know her. We've seen her in things. Stephen Amell, never heard of him. Grant Gustin, who's that? You know, it'd been, it had like a bit part on Glee. Uh, Melissa Benoist, she was on Glee. So they'd done like bit parts on things, but she wasn't, they, they weren't really on our radar. Whereas Ruby Rose, oh, look, she was in John Wick too. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she was definitely the most known of all the ones they've cast. Um, it wasn't like till after the other guys had been cast that I'd noticed them in like, oh, Steve Amell, there he is in Blue Mountain State. Holy crap. Yes. It, well, that always and, happens though, doesn't it? You start seeing people yeah. popping up. Like, have you seen the Judd Apatow produced TV series Undeclared? You've got Seth Rogen, James Franco, all these guys. But in a small bit part towards the end of the pilot, Tom Welling, he just played huh. a kid on campus. But yeah. it's like crazy when you go back and you, you know, they've, they've obviously had bit parts until they've got their, their bigger roles. 
the last thing I'll say about season two of Batwoman, and then we'll just stay on season one. Have you seen the poster that they put out? If no, you haven't, I'll describe it to you. It says Batwoman, and the picture is the bat signal. No word of a lie. That... <laughs> <laughs> That's the season two poster so far. Yeah. Not even awesome. not even like the new Batwoman in silhouette. It's like, well, yeah. we've clearly not got Ruby Rose. Just stick the bat symbol on it <laughs> or stick the yeah, the the bat signal, we need to put something out. That's the poster. Cause that, yeah, because yeah, that's another thing. The development of these the, these costumes are involved. I mean, they have to be functional. They have to look right on screen. And they have to be custom fit to the actor. And have they had that opportunity since the, the casting? Probably not. Um, and they can be awfully expensive as well. I don't know what because you have to have multiple versions of them depending on what type of scene you're making. But that is another huge thing for season two. Well, let's talk about the costume for season one. It was designed by Colleen Atwood. She also created the original costumes for Supergirl, The Flash and Arrow. And she's done a very good job here because we talked about Batwoman in the comics. That's the costume we get in live action. For me, they absolutely nailed the design they've got the long flowing red hair looks better in the series than it did in elseworlds there yeah. it definitely looks like a wig and you're like well hang on this character is very rich if she wanted people to think she had long red hair as part of her disguise she'd go for a better hairpiece but anyway the costume in the show really does look great but there is story element that I hate with a passion. And I know we've not got to the episode yet, but we're talking about the costume. It's how everybody in her little team, and just like all the Arrowverse shows, the hero has a team. We've talked about some of the characters already, like Mary, but we've also got Luke Fox. He's a part of this team, the son of Lucius Fox, who worked at Wayne Enterprises, Morgan Freeman in the, in the Nolan movies. But what they keep saying in this show, and it's more towards the end of the season, and it's so painful to hear them say it, they're talking about the fact that there's only one thing, or there's only one thing on Earth that can penetrate the Batsuit, and it's kryptonite. Yeah. I get that they're looking to reference a wider DC universe, and that's okay. I like a mention of Superman, Supergirl. That's all good. But when they're talking about the character of Batwoman, and they're saying, oh, Batwoman, the only thing that can kill her is kryptonite. You're like, shut up. That is ridiculous. <laughs> I get that the suit is built in such a way that bullets can't penetrate and all of that. But they've worked into the story that the only thing that can penetrate the suit is kryptonite. I think it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I hate it. If I'm being yeah. honest with you. Yeah, I did. Especially because in the first half of the season, they had something else that could penetrate the suit, a special one-of-a-kind gun that her sister Alice gets a hold of and uh, sabotages so it can't hurt her sister. So there was something else, and it was not kryptonite. It was a one-off prototype. The guy who designed it, they killed, and they presumably don't have his notes about how he built it. 
but you're like, but, but so there are two things technically, but yeah, come the end of the season, having had half like the first like three or four episodes dedicated to this gun that could penetrate the bath suit. Oh yeah, there's only one thing that could stop you, kryptonite. It is odd. It's, it's definitely odd given that, as you said, it's kryptonite synonymous with the super family. It's you have to be kryptonian for kryptonite to affect you to wedge it in the batwoman feels lazy like Which, honestly i i don't like it on any level of part, as part of crisis supergirl finds out that batwoman had kryptonite just in case supergirl needed to put in her place superman and batman have had that relationship for years there was a kryptonite ring but then Supergirl trusts Batwoman. Here, you look after this piece of kryptonite that can kill me and can also kill you. Here, take it. It's yeah. stupid. It is, it is stupid. I hate with a passion kryptonite being associated as being a weakness for Batwoman because like Batman, she's a human in a suit that can do incredible things. You know, physically, combat, all of that. You know, Batman's got his intelligence. Batwoman has some. With that's evident in the show. But having kryptonite be referenced as the one thing on Earth that can penetrate the bat suit and kill her, hate it. Absolutely, yeah, hate because it. you could gas her because she still has to breathe. And her, just like Batman, her mouth is open. You don't have to penetrate the bat suit. You just have to be able to shoot her in the mouth. It's right there. <laughs> There's a big hole in the suit. It's her face. A bit violent, Jay. But yes, you could shoot <laughs> the woman in her face. <laughs> yeah. That would be but, a yeah. way of taking her down. Yeah, but yeah, I just said like there is multiple. The suit's not airtight. It's like any suit of that description, that type. There is a fault, and you didn't have to make it kryptonite. You could have made it. You could have come up with anything really, like. Because it's carbon nanotubes that are a real thing. They do exist. Uh, they're exceptionally expensive to produce, and we are not able to produce them in large numbers, which is why they're not a common thing or even an uncommon thing. Um, but it's a comic book show, so they've managed to figure out how to make it to the point to cover a whole person in them, hence the bat suit. Carbon nanotubes, it, it, it's basically like diamond strands. Like if you made if you wove something out of diamond, that's what her bat suit is technically. Just ask a chemist what goes through diamond. Okay, yep, cool. This is now what goes through our bat suit in real life. Whatever goes money. through diamond. She's got money, yeah. she's got she's got Bruce Wayne's resources, being his cousin, she's got access to Wayne Enterprises via Luke Fox, mentioned him earlier, played by Cameras Johnson. In the comics, he does become a superhero in his own right. He becomes the second Batwing. And if you're unfamiliar with the character, just think of a combination between Batman and Iron Man. That is what Batwing is. He's got an armored suit like Iron Man, only he's got Batwings. It's a pretty cool design. Um, I'm not quite sure if we're going to get there with this character, but they have done a similar special effects before with Atom, which looked okay for the most part. So maybe the CW will eventually give us him as Batwing. 
Yeah, and you know, before I even started watching the first episode, as I started to write down uh, actors and character names, I already put in brackets Batwing, because I'm like, surely they, surely they're gonna lead there, like with Flash, and Arrow, and all the other shows where the side characters develop uh, superhero identities of their own. Surely that you go this way, especially because for quite a few episodes in season one, we have him on the comms doing the Felicity type role or the um, vibe role of like, oh, you need to do this. Like, are you, and she gets into trouble and he's stuck in the Batcave, unable to assist. Develop him a, a super powered suit for, of his own. Suddenly he can back her up in the field when he, he loses communication. Like he could be literal overwatch of being like across the street in his superpowered suit on comms, like with heads up display doing all the techie stuff. Then when she's in trouble, he's on scene. Or even if it's a drone suit yeah. that he operates, I could that see them works. doing that for season two. But if they don't go there, I will eat my hat because <laughs> well, I'll buy know, a hat and I'll eat it. <laughs> but then again, though, that's assuming. I mean, they probably will. That Ryan Wilder, here we are, season two again. Ryan Wilder <laughs> will have a working relationship with the current Batwoman team. I don't see the show. You've, you've already built the show for a season. You don't throw away your other actors. Um, you have your audience to think about who have already grown attached to these characters because Cameron Johnson's great. He does a phenomenal job. Yeah, um, he is. He's really good. The character's really well organ- uh, thought out. The fact that they've written it, that Lucius Fox has been killed in a, a mugging, um, and which is, takes, takes up a few episodes this season. Um, so he has a, sh- a shared uh, tragic backstory to go with both Bruce Wayne and Kate Kane. And I have <laughs> for the new Batwoman, I'm sure they'll give her another the similar tragedy to make her want to step into the Batwoman role. It's it's it works really well. Um and you know the obvious intelligence that they he brings to the role as well, I think phenomenal all around. Yeah, he he really does. Like you believe him in, in the role. He plays it really well. And do you know that he's actually wearing his glasses in the show? The actor. That's great. That is he phenomenal. Went, he went that's... to his audition, and as he was doing his lines, he kept nudging up his glasses, and they're like, "Yeah, that's great. We want you to wear <laughs> your glasses in the show." That's smart. That's really smart because um, it looks and so, it works. It look, but it looks so natural. It looks like a guy that wears glasses, and he's not just fiddling with them. He's actually moving them as you would. But it was part of his audition. Whether it helped to get the role or not, I don't know. But both him and his glasses got cast. They're both in the show. <laughs> yeah. And that's just one of those small things. Someone who who has to live with glasses has found a style that matches them. That's what the costume department would have had to have done anyway. So, bravo. Like, well done. Um, oh, we should probably talk about Rachel Scarston as... Beth Kane, also known as Alice, or for the most part in the show, she is Alice. And it's not the first DC show uh, that she's been a part of. She played the young Black Canary in the Birds of Prey TV series. 
Oh, wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was, whoa, maybe 18 years ago, but she played the second Black Canary. So in that show, she, she didn't have the Canary cry, but she, had, she was a, a psychic. I think that was her yeah, thing. I, yeah, yeah. Ironically, so, not Oracle. That wasn't the name they used for the character who can see the future. <laughs> but we did get an Oracle on the show. That name was taken. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, okay. So it was interesting when she was first cast for this show because, yeah, she'd done a, a DC show previous. But in here, I, I like and dislike her character. In the comics... She's absolutely fantastic. And you mentioned J.H. Williams earlier, like his illustrations, whether he's drawing Kate Kane, Batwoman, like there's no color on her flesh. She's just white, red lipstick, red hair. And Alice had a similar design as well. She was just white, not pale, white. And the theme and the ideas in the comic worked so well. My issue with the character, not necessarily the actress, because I think she's doing a really good job here, is that for 20 episodes, it's the same thing happening over and over. Batwoman almost captures Alice, then she does, then she doesn't, then she does, and it's reoccurring. And before Crisis, I was starting to struggle with the show, and I did say I was watching it as it was airing. So I'm committed. (laughs) I will stick with these DC shows. But it was like, holy crap. It's the same thing happening. She's almost captured, then she is, then she escapes, almost. And it was just repetitive. And then seeing Batwoman alongside these other heroes in crisis, I'm like, oh, wow. I felt like the other actors were bringing the best out of Ruby Rose in the role. I thought, wow, it's happening. This is really good. And then crisis finished and we're back to the same thing happening. (laughs) over and over so i do like the character of alice i get it she is batwoman's joker and there's that connection where they're sisters and i like the fact twin sisters twin sisters but i like the fact that they didn't drag on that mystery too long like it it didn't last very long before batwoman knew who alice really was yeah i do yeah i do agree with the the merry-go-round of the story of going, oh, she's out. She's a menace. Oh, no, we almost capture. Oh, no, we do capture. Oh, she escapes. Or she gets let out to help them with something else and then right, right back to the formula again, which, you know, it's it's got to be frustrating for the actresses as well because, oh, we're, we're right back here. And as we got towards the end of the season, I really felt like they were going to take her in a new interesting way and i bought into it i was i was right alongside them and then they did what i didn't expect them to do which was put them back on the america round and it was crushing <laughs> i'm like oh why did you do that i really felt like you were setting the characters up to get to a point to move forward for both of them like be, let, allowing kate kane to step away from this uh, antagonistic relationship with her sister her sister to just get over it and maybe leave the city where she can always come back for a few episodes a season and then they just like they they like stepped right to the edge with the tippy toes hanging off and then they step right back into the flow that we just had i'm like oh and i, I was like 
I said, she does a phenomenal job. Um, I really like the episodes where post-crisis, the unscarred version of herself appears as the multiverse kind of collapses, collapses back onto itself. Um, I don't like the idea that because there were two of them and there was only supposed to be one of them, they were both being killed. Um, although that did do some really interesting things, which is another thing I thought, oh, they're going to do something really risque and different here, and then the whole show's going to change, and they didn't. But both versions, you could tell which one was which. It wasn't just hair color either. It was personality and body language. But if they hadn't done this with Batwoman, like it, for me, this cancels out the possibility of them doing Power Girl on Supergirl which is something I really wanted them to do. Ah, yeah, yeah. I thought they were going to do something similar to that before in Supergirl. They had an episode, which I guess it was closer to Superman Red Sun, where there was another version of her that landed in Russia. And I remember in Justice League Unlimited, there was a clone of Supergirl, and she was slightly older, and that was Power Girl. Yeah. There's an attempted version of that character before, but yeah, it would have been great to get an actual Power Girl on Supergirl. Maybe it'll happen yeah. in, in future seasons. Who knows? But when you were talking there, I just reminded myself what I thought, seeing the relationship between Batwoman and Alice, it's Tom and Jerry. Yeah. That's yeah, the relationship. No matter what happens during an episode of Tom and Jerry, you know how it will end, and then the next episode resets. It's Tom and Jerry. So you kind of like... Yeah. What are we doing here? Yeah, which is fine on a cartoon, but for a, a, a series that has, you know, the storylines are supposed to dovetail into a, into and out of each other and then grow, you're, you're, you're not allowing the characters to grow. You keep hinting at it. You keep taking all of the steps necessary that would equal growth, and then they're just backing off at the last minute, leaving nothing permanent in their wake. Everything's reset. Um, that's not the way a long form TV series is normally run. Again, it might just be that they had some grand plan that they've had to cut short because they didn't get their full 24 episodes. Um, but yeah, that's something they're going to have to address the first few episodes of season two um, and hopefully give both characters like closure, um, whether it's, killing one of them off, killing both of them off, or at least or just having them both grow to a new norm, you know, an actual new norm that is permanent. <laughs> I did hear, and this will be the last time we mention season two, <laughs> I hope that they will not be killing off Kate Kane. Which that would be the smart I, thing. Definitely, because I think that, because who knows, whether it's a future crossover or something else down the line, I'd, it would be a mistake to just write off that character, especially when, oh, wow. I mean, this first season, the whole thing, the whole show is built around Kate Kane as played by Ruby Rose. Yeah. So they at least need to leave the door open for her, just in case, down the line. Now, the, the sound of this show the score, and I always like to talk about the music whenever we talk about a TV show or a movie. Blake Neely, he's the guy that has been with Arrow from the beginning. 
Um, he's a frequent collaborator with writer, director, producer Greg Berlante. Uh, so yes, the Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and also Batwoman. But what I've noticed, well, it's been happening for a couple of years now. Whenever he is on a show, because in the beginning it was just him, but now it's always him and somebody else. And that somebody else on Batwoman is Sherry Chung. She's also worked on shows like Riverdale, Blind Spot, and probably other Belante produced TV series. But I like it. I like the sound that they got here where it's got some mystery to it, it's got action, it's it sounds eerie, it doesn't you don't just think Batman, because that's you know, Batwoman, she should have her own sound. And they first used the music in Elseworlds. It's eerie. It builds, and I like it. Yeah, and it definitely evokes the Gotham feel because the city is. Well, they do a really good job with the show of Gotham, um, kind of post Batman, because Batman's been missing for five years, uh, which they actually address why he finally, towards the end of the season, why he's not around, and it's not he's dead. Something else happens, which I don't want to spoil for listeners. But the in the post-Batman uh, era, uh, Kate's father, Jacob, has created a security force known as the Crows uh, who protect the wealthy because it's a pay-for-service. And they've basically broken the city into two segments. The rich area, which is almost walled off, and it's where the security is high because they have the police force plus the crows. And then outside of that is where everyone else lives that doesn't have that level of security. And it does make the show and give the city a personality that otherwise wouldn't be there because there is a little, uh, there's a literal other side of the tracks. It's where the crows line of like, uh, their jurisdiction ends and you enter into Gotham city, like major, and it works. It, it's really smartly done. Um, and the music backs that up because they, you know, you, you know, it gives you the feeling of like, oh, I don't like this. Um, and they do little things as well, like uh, Scarecrow's gas gets used in the middle of the season, like because Batman's villains were around. So some of the weapons and the things they use are also available to those who've found them a third of the season they're in Arkham Asylum like Kate uh, Alice is in Arkham Asylum and kind of starts running the place and there we are we have Arkham Asylum regularly on TV it it's done and it works we don't I don't recall seeing an exterior shot of Arkham Asylum which is probably smart but you've got the the mental hospital feel and the, 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 the sterile walls and the whole the whole layout, and of course, the doctors in there aren't great. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've got an exterior shot in Elseworlds because there's a visual from that crossover. And I was looking at where it actually takes place after Kate truly becomes Batwoman for the first time in episode three. Showrunner Caroline Dry stated that Elseworlds fits right afterwards. The next episode, which is episode four features a reference to a breakout from Arkham, which happened in Elseworlds. 
And there's yeah. a visual in that crossover that I never thought I wanted to see until I saw it. And it's a hallway in Arkham Asylum and there's criminals, like, you know, there's people behind bars and they're screaming to be freed. And Supergirl just flies down the corridor. Never knew yeah. I wanted to see it until I saw it. Like, I've never seen that before. Supergirl flying down the halls of Arkham. So we definitely, from memory, I'm going to say, got an exterior shot of Arkham there. But you're right, though. Here we are on TV and we're getting to see Arkham on a regular basis. But saying that, we did also see it on Gotham. But it's more realised here because it's more of a lived-in DC universe where we've got all these other characters coming in and out. Yeah, um, and you know you can't have Gotham City and not have Arkham Asylum. It's it's a staple. Um, moving on for some of the other characters, Mouse, uh, Alice's brother, as she ends up thinking of him, um, played by Sam Littlefield. Interesting character. I got Dole Man vibes the whole season with this guy. Me too. Especially with the, I steal skin to make a skin mask of whoever I need to be. And he can mimic any voice, uh, male or female. Um, does some great, good stuff on the storytelling side. But yeah, he's, and he's the, he's the straight-laced one out of the two. He's always telling her, forget your sister, let's just move on. And by the end of the season, he's like, let's just leave up Gotham. Get out of here. It's done. Like, he... They, he had the character growth, and I thought they did a really smart thing. Like also the, his father, a real piece of work, because he's got a burn marks on half his face. Is why he kidnaps Alice in the first place, to have someone uh, uh, with his uh, son to grow up with and have a playmate with, and it goes wrong for him. But yeah, it's an interesting character. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree completely. And just that element, because these shows can get very similar. You mentioned or we talked about how a hero has their team in all the CW shows. But I think there's enough happening in Batwoman and the relationship between Mouse and Alice is a good example of it being different to anything these shows have given us before. And you are getting like David Fincher vibes. You know, It's like you're watching a real dark psychological thriller. like. We know who Alice becomes, but to see her as a kid and she's getting put through all that torment and she's a prisoner and she's trying to reach out to her dad and she's been told that if you do get in contact with him, we will kill him. So she really is trapped and then she finds a friend in Mouse. So yeah, it's a really interesting relationship that they have, but then... The focus for Alice moves from her relationship with Mouse and it's all about Kate and Batwoman. And that's why in the end, and we can jump to the finale, where she poisons Mouse. She kills him because, as you say, he's like, yeah, no, we need to leave Gotham now. Like, for us to continue our plan elsewhere, this is the time to leave, but she just can't. And for her to stay and to continue to be a part of Batwoman's life, to torment Kate, she kills him, her one true friend. Yeah, and it's it works really well. Like I, I felt it. I felt it. I shouldn't feel for a villain, but I was like, wow, all he wants is 
safety. That's actually, he's not, he's, the whole thing is he didn't feel safe with his father. He didn't feel safe outside of that. He's been made to feel like he's, because of his uh, scarred face, he's not going to be, he wouldn't be accepted in society. And he gets to a point where in Arkham, he's, he feels safe and they running the place because he's pretending to be the, uh, the guy in charge of Arkham. And she ruins all that for him. And then when he's like, let's just leave, like we can leave all this aside. They won't follow us. She's too busy protecting the city and she just won't let him go. She, she, she does. She can't, doesn't want to live without him, but she also doesn't want him to live without her. So yeah, to continue on her way, it, it was dark. (laughs) I was was not prepared for it. And it was really well handled. I thought probably one of the best aspects of the season. Yeah, definitely. But towards the end of the season, she's got another distraction. We get another character, Tommy Elliot, straight from the comics. And not just as Tommy Elliot, we get him in a comic accurate hush costume, which I thought was fantastic. He's got the, the face bandaged up. He's got the two guns and he looked just like he did in the comics, which I really liked. But the interesting thing to do with that character, also lifted from the comics, when he finally gets a new face, which is something that is needed from Mouse and Alice, they give him Bruce Wayne's face. He looks just like Bruce Wayne. And this is a show that back in Elseworlds, they mentioned Batman. There's a joke that, Oliver Queen has about, hey, I was the first vigilante, not this guy. The Batman's not really real. They had fun with that there. But Batman has been a character. They mentioned him from in the pilot. There's a bat signal. They're going to shut it down for the first time because Batman has not been seen. But yeah, we get to the finale and they show us the guy that in the Arrowverse, if they manage to pull it off somehow, and legitimately have Bruce Wayne, Batman, in this universe, they've cast the guy. Because we yeah. now know who or what Bruce Wayne looks like. Yeah. Um, and this was also a storyline in the comics, as you said, where Tommy Elliot Hush disguises himself as Bruce Wayne to take over Wayne Enterprises because he's so obsessed with Bruce Wayne. They are not the way they, they illustrate it in this show where he's almost in love with Bruce Wayne. Like he envies him to the point where he wants to be him and Bruce Wayne, my best friend. And you know, um, he has other um, issues, (laughs) but where he idolizes and he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman as well which is an, uh, something else which was interesting, which she figured out somehow. But yeah, that's what our season two is. Um, Tommy Elliott played by Gabriel Mann, who, you know, he looks rich. He looks like someone who's used to being in charge. Um, he does a good job, really unsettled. And uh, the episode he gets introduced where he thinks Batman's going to turn up and then Batwoman's there and he's like, wait, what? Who are you? Because he's expecting Batman. He's uh, been doing crimes readying to confront Batman like you left me you've been gone for five years like a jaded lover and then Batwoman shows up it's like Batman's gone dumbass uh, yeah it was, it was really good I was uh, 
very thankful of it, especially like I said, with the, when they got towards the back end of the season in his walking around comic accurate costume. It's phenomenal. And even the even the the why he's called Hush and they get it across, which they didn't do in the comics, but his first crime dressed in that way is in a library. So he says to people, "Hush," because they're in a library, <laughs> and it stuck. It yeah, stuck. very clever. Yeah, I remember seeing a behind the scenes picture of him in costume before the episode aired, and even just seeing that shot, I thought they've nailed it. Like they've done a really good job of bringing him to to live action for the first time honestly everything everything they were doing in this show like everything that was working was building towards a really good season two they were setting up so many things putting so many pieces on the board and you're like wow what will season two bring i'm there for it we yeah. might not get that now. Not in the not in the way that they originally planned. They're gonna to have to make some changes. But the season that we got, all twenty episodes, if if we look at rating the show out of five, and I'll let you go first, what would you give this out of five? Um, I'd probably go I'm probably gonna to have to I it as it got on and on. Um, I think I'm gonna have to give it a three and a half. I would say it was up. It was at times it's hitting a four, four and a half. But the the keep resetting of Alice and the the merry-go-round Tom and Jerry's thing we've spoken gets grating. Um, and the fact that it doesn't actually get its finale uh, because of uh, this year, 2020, they didn't actually get to flesh out what would have been their season finale, and it feels that way that they did all their setup for what would have been like one or two more episodes. And then to be continued next season, that kind of leaves me with like a, ah, don't leave me like this. It's, it's not even quite a cliffhanger because I hadn't set up enough for it to be as tense as a normal cliffhanger would be. There's no literal life hanging in the balance or anything like that. It's just all the pieces are in play for what would be a season finale. Um, yeah. That just takes it down that peg. Um, and the questions that it's left for season two, as we've discussed many times, which is unfortunate because, you know, I, I, I've really enjoyed the show. As I said, I've, I enjoyed it far more than I expected. It's easily on par with Supergirl and Flash um, for the competency and the accuracy of costumes and the, the fleshing out of characters. It's just that last little bit of um what would I would I have to assume was going to be the season finale of once and putting a pin in once and for all the stuff between Kate and Alice. Um, but yeah, that's why I've got to unfortunately take it down to a three and a half. Yeah. And I'm going to come in a little bit lower than that. Not too much lower. I'm going to come in at a, a three and a big detractor for me is that repetition, the constant cat and mouse between Batwoman and Alice uh, the shorter season due to COVID obviously can't be can't be helped. You know, the same thing happened to the other Arrowverse shows, but I think it affected this show more because it was its first season. And and then the knowledge that Ruby Rose isn't coming back. I mean, they couldn't plan for that. So it does feel like it just stops and doesn't, you know, it is interesting. Bruce Wayne appears for the first time, or at least Tommy Elliott looking like Bruce Wayne. He did a lot to set up a second season that I really wanted to watch. 
but it, it's all the repetition. And I know the flash, it's him, the flash who can run fast, often going up against someone else who can run fast. That show repeats itself as well. <laughs> but yeah, three, three out of five, I, I, did, I did enjoy it as a season. But again, we've been network television, 20 episodes is a lot. Like they can't just put out like 13 solid episodes. They've got to stretch it out. So you're always going to get some episodes that are better than others. Uh, but Batwoman, I'm glad that we got together to talk about it and that you got to experience it and, and really glad that you found something to, to enjoy in it. Because again, like, there's not many of us out there that have watched this show that we know anyway. Yeah. And, um, and it's really unfortunate uh, that unlike flash, which, although, as you said, always tends to shrink down to, I must go faster. I must go faster. At least week in week out, he generally has new villains to take on to, to, to break up the monotony and what is the season villain. And for this first season of Batwoman, they just didn't do that enough. Like we get the episode where you have um, the vampire and even that was a little bit strange because they, with the season, Supergirls in this world and aliens and all this other stuff. And we've had Constantine show up and Lucifer is technically part of it. Thanks to the crossover and everything else. And then they're like, Oh yeah, but she's not actually a vampire. I'm like, you couldn't just go a little bit further. Just, it was strange. And, um, I enjoyed the episode right up until that reveal of oh, yeah. this, the woman she's looking up, which was a storyline from the comics as well with Batwoman fighting a vampire. And I'm yeah, like, I oh, why didn't you just make her actually a vampire? That is a, good, that is a good point because the first eight episodes of this season, she's separate to Supergirl and they're on different Earths and she's separate to the other Arrowverse characters. But with the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was episode nine, part two of the Crisis of Batwoman, episode 10 onwards, yeah, they're all on a shared Earth. So there is aliens flying around and a guy that can run really fast. So sure, let there be a vampire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, and like I said, and they, we, I think just we think we needed a bit more, like uh, we had... Uh, Magpie, I think was the name of the, with the woman who was a jewel thief. Yeah. Um, we just need a couple more of those sprinkled in to just to, to just break up the Alice stuff because, as you said, it was unrelenting. Too much. It was every it was episode. Just too repetitive. It, but thinking about it, though, it's, it's pretty rare that what would happen is that halfway through a season, the rules of the world would change. Yeah. Because where it started more grounded because of crisis. They couldn't really do that anymore because Black Lightning is also in this world now. All these characters have now been brought together. Yeah, so hopefully for season two, we are speaking about it again, <laughs> they, they loosen up on that. Like you don't have to be quite so grounded because you have altered your universe to have all of these strange elements as in one which is you know as we discussed when we talked about titans titans really leaned into it and it was stronger for it like yeah has has uh starfire she's an alien because superman he's an alien wonder woman 
Amazonians living on an island that have been existed for thousands of years. Yeah, don't worry about it. Aquaboy and Aquaman and Atlantis, these are all things. You know, like DC have gotten much better and the CW have gotten much better with this stuff uh, in the last few years. For Batwoman, they just need to, to, to bring it up to the same level as the rest in terms of don't be afraid to lean on other stuff, especially now you're moving into a season two. You don't need to quite be so standalone. And, you know, they set up a lot of stuff where Supergirl has to turn up in season two from the nature of how this season sort of finishes. You know, more than any other first season that we've covered on the podcast, we have to do season two of Batwoman. Yeah. We yeah, have we to <laughs> come back, get together again and, and talk about it. Well, that's it for our episode all about Batwoman season one and our speculation on season two. <laughs> if you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.